Hi there, Charlie McGee speaking. Just a quick note on the editing of this episode before you listen. So this is one of our earlier episodes. So George and I were still quite new to the podcasting game. We hadn't got the optimum setup in place yet. We were still trying to record uh, one of us in different countries, different mics over Skype, you name it. We tried it before we got to the best setup. So uh, if you prefer your episodes in the highest quality, probably suggest starting around episode six or seven, uh, where we're covering things like the Goonies and 1989 Batman, because I don't know, we just, we got things, we worked out what worked, what didn't work. But if you are a completist, you can go back and check out one of these earlier ones, like one, two, four, or five. Uh, episode three is actually pretty decent quality, and that's a special where we cover John McTiernan's classic with Arnie, Predator. So if you like bad impressions of Arnold Schwarzenegger, and to hear us talk about it for 90 minutes, be sure to check that out. Take all of that under advisement, just as Hans Gruber says. That's all I can really think of to mention. Thank you for downloading the episode. Keep sharing. Sharing is caring. Keep following us on all social medias. And for everything else, you can get us at retroramble.blog. Bye for now. You like movies about gladiators? Those men wanted to have sex with me. Great Scott. Nice Bieber. Cinderella boy. Rambo. Hello and welcome to Retro Ramble. I'm Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. And welcome to a podcast that focuses on the, the films that George and I grew up with, the films of the 1980s, the films of the 1990s. And this week we're going to be taking a look at The Rock. But before we do that, some housekeeping notes from George. Yes, so uh, just as always, we are not professionals, but we aim for a professional feel. So we're not movie journalists, we're just two guys that love films and we love chatting about films, sharing our memories, uh, bad impressions. Um, We're new to this podcasting uh, malarkey, so please bear with us in in terms of if there's varying audio quality. Uh, But yeah, we, we aim to entertain We aim to ramble about the films that we love most. And sometimes we miss, but we do our best. Our best! Our best. More about that, because this week we're going back to 1996, and we're taking a look back at a film that's very close to our hearts for a number of reasons, and that is The Rock. We're going to go to some very special places, we're going to do some terrible impressions of uh, Sean Connery, but I think it's worth saying that Michael Bay has made a lot of bad films. He's made some okay films, but this was really, this was kind of him at his best. The music, the music, George. Ba-ba-ba-ba. Very dramatic music. So yeah, there's a lot of big films that came out in the 90s, a lot of, you know, it was the sort of key time for the blockbuster. A lot of people going to the cinema, and this is from the you know, the same sort of movie production house that did, you know, Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop, Bad Boys, Armageddon. Um, there's so many films to pick up from from that uh, stable house, that, that canon. But yeah, as as you say, we this has really resonated uh, with us for various reasons. We've watched it loads. It's got great quotability as you'll you'll find out uh, in the uh, in the review 
uh, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and they don't, they don't make films like this for a reason. This is uh, like we talked about this with Face Off and Air Force One. Obviously, the music is just as important as it is in Air Force One, and I'm definitely going to put it as backing um, to this intro. But it, they don't make films like this because this was pre 9/11, and um, you know, as the trailer is about to indicate, you know, this is one of America's own. You know, the guys that you trained turning against the system. Brilliant performance from Ed Harris. So we're going to delve into that. Um, so we hope you enjoy that. We just like to say a quick thank you to all the people um, who've downloaded our podcast. We're hitting some. We're very impressed. You know, we we started doing this. This was George and I taking the conversations that we used to have um, on a weekly basis and putting it into a monthly podcast. And we're just really thankful for all the support and, and great feedback we're getting from people. And unfortunately, we're just going to keep doing it, aren't we? Because it's it's great fun. Yeah. No, we've had, we've had some lovely feedback um, from obviously from some good friends uh, that have yeah said some very nice things about it um, that's yeah spurred us on but we've also had complete randoms um, whether it's liking our Facebook page you know we've had some nice reviews on Facebook uh, whether it's um, through Twitter we've had people uh, in America follow us uh, on Twitter so um, yeah we're we're across the the, the medias um, we're on the blog, we're on the social medias, um, and as for this podcast today, we've we've got rid of the cassette and we are now today recording on mini-disc, because we thought it was time to, to use, you know, futuristic technology, wouldn't you say, George? Well, in my mind, they're still the future. Yeah, mini-discs, you should check them out, guys. You probably, don't know if you can afford one now, but they are a cracking piece of tech. So, George has got the mini-disc ready. And I have to, I'd say we're just about to, to head, we're just flying into San Francisco. Through the smog or yeah. of the fog. George, what's it going to take to get, um, I don't know, a few mini discs loaded with a recording of The Rock in the next 30 seconds? An act of God. Excuse me. 60%. Okay, 65%. And with that, we give you The Rock. Enjoy. stands between a city and a disaster. The power of this chemical is way beyond anything you can imagine. That's where you're coming with us. Is a man who's never seen combat. You're a chemical freak. <laughs> I'm a chemical super freak, actually. And another who's been out of action for 30 years. Show us on the blueprints. I can't. My blueprint was in my head. Fortunately, some things you never forget. But don't worry. It'll all come back to me. So, George, The Rock, 1996. Take us away. So, in a nutshell, we have a mild-mannered chemist and an ex-convict must lead the counter-strike when a rogue group of military men, led by a renegade general, threaten a nerve gas attack from Alcatraz against San Francisco. Perfectly plausible. Well, you know, I mean, it's um, it's it sums it up. I mean, if you're going to lead a counter strike, you need a mild mannered chemist and an ex convict. I mean, they'd be the first uh, on my list. That's for sure. 
I think it's safe to say, though, I mean, you, if you were alive at this time, and even if you're alive now, and I hope you are if you're listening to this, you've heard of The Rock. It's a big film. It's still a big film today, George, isn't it? Hang on. Were you suggesting that dead people listen to this podcast? I'm pretty sure they are, <laughs> because they're not rating us, they're not reviewing us. Well, some people are. Some people are giving us very nice reviews, but, you know, we're getting all these downloads, and, yeah, I'd say if I include robots as dead people... And, yeah. and dead people. So, yeah, The the Rock was a classic action film from the 90s. In terms of the background, you've got... It's Who a, gave us this little nugget? Who gave us? Who's responsible for giving us this? Well, it's from the Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer production company. So they were legendary producers from the 80s and 90s, starting with their first hit was Oh, What a Feeling, Flashdance, a little film called Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop, Days of Thunder, Bad Boys, Crimson Tide. So they were sort of the kings of of Hollywood producing, you know, those sort of big audience-friendly blockbusters. They're the guys that pretty much uh, created the hit, you know, every blockbuster should have a hit soundtrack. So that started with Flashdance. And if you think about most people own the Top Gun soundtrack because it's awesome Beverly Hills Cop and even something like as you get further down the line you know films like uh, Armageddon you know Dangerous Minds was one of their films so probably most people forget Dangerous Minds as a film uh, but everyone remembers the song associated with it Gangster's Paradise so yeah they were very good at working a a formula of blockbusters that appealed to to men and women but they were always a bit of a a very stylized look so um, you know we talked about it on Point Break you know that sort of eternal sunset or sunrise that sort of twilight hour very glossy you know sort of almost music video-esque visuals and a lot of the people that went on to work on these films did come from either a commercials background or music videos because you mentioned their Gangster's Paradise by Coolio, and I forgot to do what I have to do. I have to set the scene. It's 1996, and you're damn right. You are listening to uh, Gangster's Paradise by Coolio. What else were you listening to? Yeah, you were listening to... There's Tupac who's still alive? I'm not sure. And who? what else were you listening to? A lot of Mariah Carey. Whitney Houston was doing Exhale and stuff. So, yeah, you get you get the idea. And Oh, no, I know. I think it was... was I think it was the year of the Macarena. I think Brian Adams was still number one. <laughs> People were still going to see still. Robin Hood Prince Thieves. It's five years later. It's still at the top spot. Yeah, I'm sure there was a a bunch of Euro dance coming in around that time that you will probably know better than me. Like, yeah, Wigfield, Macarena and actual some proper dance music. Don Simpson and Andre Bruckheimer, big partnership. Don Simpson was legendary for his partying in Hollywood, shall I say. He was a bit of a a coke monster. And I think I read somewhere that he was averaging on something like a 60 grand habit a week in his final days. So he actually uh, died when The Rock was in production and uh, him and... Jerry Bruckheimer had had a bit of a falling out and actually agreed that this was going to be their last film. But obviously they were very close and as he died during production, the film was dedicated in his memory. Jerry Bruckheimer has gone on. He's still producing. Uh, he's still making a shitload of money. Um, he's he's the man responsible for Pirates of the Caribbean. He's the guy... How dare he? How dare he? He 
has created the whole CSI franchise. So there's about five or six or seven CSI spin-offs that he's all responsible for. So yeah, he's still making an absolute shitload of money. Um, he's obviously, you know, he's, I say, he's a very uh, talented producer. And as I was saying, um, a lot of them were up-and-coming directors. So they they used Tony Scott when he was just sort of emerging as a, as a key director. And another uh, sort of up-and-coming director that uh, the director of The Rock is none other than Michael Bay, the man responsible for giving us all those Transformers films. And threatening five more. So yeah, Michael Bay, actually his calling card uh, before he did um, his first film was Bad Boys, another Brookheimer Simpson production. But before he did that, he was most famous for making the meatloaf video, I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. Love's supposed to be unconditional. (laughs) Well, not when you're meatloaf. He kind of sets the rules. If anyone remembers that video, it's completely over the top. It's like a Beauty and the Beast thing there's motorbikes there's helicopters there's a girl on a swing Um, it's completely over the top and it does feel like a a short film for Brookheimer and Simpson would actually do so you can see why he popped up on their radar Michael Bay is you know I say he's given us Transformers uh, Bad Boys 1 and 2 Pearl Harbor so yeah I, I think it's safe to say and I'm sure you would agree with me and many others that it is his best film and that's that you know it's damning with fame and praise it's a base favourite. Yeah, apparently so. And from reading sort of the behind the scenes, that uh, the the cast were very much behind him. Uh, apparently, uh, he was getting a lot of heat from from the studio. So, the actual studio that produced this was um, was Touchstone Pictures, which is um, a a studio under the Disney label. I think it's since been dissolved because Disney are you know as we know taking over the world via Star Wars and Marvel and Pixar. Uh, and uh, but they actually did used to have they had Touchstone which was sort of like their adult movie wing and I don't mean like adult as in sexy sexy uh, I mean you know violent uh, action thing that's sort of the the background for the film uh, is there anything you want to add on that? When you when you talk about you know Touchstone Pictures, I just how many home videos did we watch that started with that? I mean, I can see the um, what do you call it, the fanfare or the logo, the multimedia logo thing. I can see it. You know, it, it seemed to be the majority of films. It says a lot about this podcast. The majority of films that you and I would watch at home on video were were Touchstone, weren't they? Yeah, I, th- I think there was a lot of Touchstone uh, films. I'm trying to think, what you know, obviously you've got the big ones like Paramount and Fox, but yeah, I think I say Touchstone uh, has been sort of wound down now. But that was in the days of simple <coughs> icons and graphics. You know, it was just Touchstone pictures and a little bit of lightning. Whereas now, I don't know if you've seen that Family Guy episode where he goes to the cinema and then he's like, oh yeah, this is the movie. And it's like, no, no, it's not the movie. It's, it's one of the production houses. And they're all like that now, aren't they? Skydance. You're like, is this the movie? It's a planet on fire? No, no, it's, it's Skydance. Well, I was, was going to uh, say to you, like, I, what was I watching recently? It might have, I think it was uh, Kong Skull Island. And there was, I don't know if you've noticed this with more and more films, like there's so many more 
production companies involved. Yeah, that's so, my point. There's yeah, so, so you've got six. yeah, you've got so many of them, and you've you've got some random company in China, and there's a lot of investment from China these days, and you're just like, oh, okay, oh, they're producing it, oh, and they're producing it. Whereas, yeah, in back in the in the 80s and 90s, it was usually one production house and maybe one different distributor, and or a a production house and a studio. And that's changed how films are made as well, you know, today. It's changed the entire process. Well, that's what I was going to say, like, doing the research on Brookheimer and Simpson is, and obviously we've talked about people like Joel Silver, has the days of the legendary producer changed? Have we, you know, I've, I've just touched on it uh, about Disney status. Is it more studio and director-driven system? So if you look at, it's all about that brand recognition that franchise that you know everyone's what's their cash cow for each studio so you know Disney have Marvel and Star Wars and Pixar Warner Brothers have the DC or you know Batman Superman franchise and Harry Potter which they both seem to be milking Universal have uh, Fast and Furious but it's it's interesting to see how that has how the power has changed obviously you've got talented directors that are aligned to studios so I think um, Christopher Nolan is uh, linked with Warner Brothers because he's made a shit ton of money for them so they're keen to keep him on board but yeah I think I think that is that's something that's that's definitely changed in the past 20-30 years yeah because our, our, our friends over at Empire were talking about that I don't know which podcast or magazine I read it in about how there's actually almost a slightly different way that the Marvel approach and uh, DC seem to be approaching the directors, whereas at Marvel it seems to be the directors are on a leash. You know, they're like, you can make this film, Josh, Josh Whedon or, or whoever, but you have to do it within the the MCU or within like this, whereas apparently at DC it seems to be directors are allowed to go nuts, a.k.a. Zack Snyder. Um, so they're saying in the long run what they were talking about, you know, that you can check it out for yourselves, that, that it seems to be that DC are almost giving themselves a bit more room to manoeuvre. Whereas in the end, Marvel are a little bit more restric- restricted. But it's not just all about those two. I mean, uh, you're talking about studios. Paramount have the Mission Impossible franchise, and they've got you know arguably one of the well one of the most bankable stars from the last ten years. So yeah, I think I think it's constantly changing. And the other thing that seems to be creeping over the horizon, which I think could produce another change, is streaming. But um, we can we can talk more about that that later. If you, if you like. Well, so, well, that's it. Yeah, I think that's a sort of the final point to consider is this was a time, the 90s was when, you know, the blockbuster was at its peak stage. There wasn't great that great TV at the time. And yeah, you know, if you look at how that paradigm has, has shifted uh, in the past 20 years, yeah, especially with streaming, that there's a lot more uh, independence given via Netflix and Amazon. But anyway, we're, we're, uh, we just need to clarify, you know, these guys you know the Brookheimer Simpson films there's been some classics out there there's been some absolute turkeys um I think it's safe to say Top Gun is in its own little league you know Beverly Hills Cop is is a a great film you've got you've got some good solid films in there uh, and then you've got the ridiculous like Armageddon and and Bad Boys Bad Boys 2 that sort of thing but I think it's safe to say the main reason that we love The Rock so much and why it resonates with us so much is Sir Sean. Your best. Losers always whine about their best. 
Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. Oh, Sean Connery, what, an, what a legend. For, I mean, for us and, and for everybody else. I think for for me and the one of the, the reasons I love this film so much, and it's a really childish um, reason, but it's just to see uh, Connery let loose and, you know, swearing like a sailor, you know, just going off on a tangent because you rarely get to see that in his in his films. Yeah, absolutely. And we grew, you know, I mean, a legend from, from our love of Bond and he made some good feats. And, and also, I, I know I was thinking about this recently, you know, there was great chemistry between him and Cage. And in some ways... Their their film choices, at least. I wouldn't say their careers, but their film choices are quite similar. Yeah, they, they've, they've both made some uh, some interesting choices. But in terms of their, their careers, they're obviously at, at different stages. So I would argue this is the last good film Connery did. He didn't have that many films um, between The Rock and retiring. They, there was the film uh, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen that apparently was such a disastrous shoot that it made him retire from uh, filmmaking early on. So, yeah, I think that was uh, in 2002. Far too many green screens. That's probably what I put him up. So this is the future. Of the film industry, <laughs> it's a bunch of shit. But you have uh, obviously you've got Nicolas Cage, who really hot actor, just coming off. So the film he did before this was Leaving Las Vegas, which he won his Oscar for. And up until then, he'd done some really interesting choices—a mixture of comedy and some obscure dramas. But this was the film that, for good or bad, um, made him into an action star. Oh, for good, for good. I think I think the good of Nicolas Cage outweighs the bad of Nicolas Cage. And I think he's, in some weird way, knows what he's doing. Well, I hope he knows what he's doing. Just his, his oh. career path at the moment is nuts. He's definitely got some massive tax bills to pay. What's his last film and his next film, George? A lot of his stuff is straight to video. Or direct, <laughs> or direct to DVD, as I should say. But God knows he did something about... He did one film about him trying to kill Bin Laden, um, which is supposed to be a comedy, which is supposed to be terrible. Army of One, I think it's called. Um, he did something about the USS Indianapolis, which is the story that's recounted in Jaws with uh, the war ship that gets sunk and the crew is surrounded and picked off by sharks. Again, apparently that's supposed to be pretty terrible. So yeah, he's he, Nicolas Cage has, has fallen a little bit from glory, but started with The Rock in terms of his career boost. Then it quickly went on to Con Air, Face Off, and lots of other uh, ridiculous... Oh, Gone in 60 Seconds, that was another Brookheimer production. But uh, apparently uh, Cage's casting was the reason that Connery was uh, interested to come on board. Well, that and getting the uh, directors or the producers to build him a cabin on Alcatraz otherwise he wouldn't do the film I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if uh, as part of this uh, agreement he had in place to build a cabin on on the rock um, whether he had a driving range built into it as well <laughs> driving range and I want potato scones every day <laughs> um, uh, Mr. Canary what's a potato scan <laughs> so should we just jump into act yeah, George, one take us off. so I think yeah as as per usual let's let's start with act one I mean it's Low, it's a Bruckheimer film, so of course it's going to be low-key. Yeah, there's no denying that. We've got dramatic music, explosions, and then Ed Harris is getting changed. More explosions! Ed Harris is at a funeral in the rain for his, his dead wife. More explosions! So you've got that. 
I'm I'm trying to get my head around um, what goes first. Do we get the the stealthy mission involving the stealing of the chemical weapons, or do we get to see Stanley Goodspeed first? I always get these bits mixed up. I don't think it really matters because it's all about establishing all the different characters, and that's what Act One spends a lot of time doing. Yeah, some very subtle exposition. So yeah, you see Stanley Goodspeed diffusing a bomb under pressure with the, the classic line inject it into your heart and diffuse the bomb brilliant I get that said to me at work all the time it's showing he's a little bit zany he's a, he's a cool guy he orders he, he collects vinyl what a weirdo who would do such a thing Dude, why don't you just buy the CD? Because it's like 1996. CDs are the future, man. Charlie, that's how telling how dated this film is. They're not even talking about mini discs yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the, the bomb diffusing scene is really good because it starts off as all oh, happy go lucky. There's a bit of banter, and then oh shit! All of a sudden, they they could be in some serious shit. Shit just got real. We do this every day. It's just another hoax. But no, it's a great scene. Great chaos. Tension, gas, acid, sprinklers, timer. Well, that's it. It's not just the acid burning through the suits. There's also a, a butt. Uh, not a butt. <laughs> a bomb. Um, then we've got the amazing stealthy mission where they're taking out all the soldiers with tranquilizer darts. It's really stealthy. But that at the same time, you've got someone that comes down a zip wire through a window and kicks a guy out of a tower. Not so stealthy. Yeah, out of the other window. Really so. Um, but very stylized again. It's raining, lots of blue light. Um, you're expecting Meatloaf to be hiding around a corner somewhere. <laughs> it's one extreme to the other. Yeah. I mean, there's um, two very good tense action scenes before we launch into, and we watched this together, didn't we, uh, recently? Yeah. Well, uh, which well, recently we did, but we've watched it together many, many times. That's true. We, we, yes, that's, that's true. And I think that was something that we both picked up on, because it's been a while since, since we both watched it and both watched it together is the amount of exposition is oh it's it's exhausting in this film well i know it's it's kind of like like was there was this a time where you weren't allowed to use you know a picture a picture tells a thousand words yeah but a thousand words is better on a script it's, it's weird there's so much it's like hitting you in the face like this guy this is his motivation this is why he's a threat. Oh, and this guy? This is his motivation, and that's why he's important to the plot. Yeah, I, th I think um, there's at least about five minutes spent on glossing over people's CVs in this film. So you've got Stanley Goodspeed, you know. Um, oh, you, you, you're the top of your class, top of your field. You haven't had any field training. Ah, General Humble, what's he done? Well, let's open his file and have a look. This guy's a goddamn <laughs> war hero. And there's, there's even um, some nice action shots of Ed Harris, you know, camouflaged up, posing with a gun. You know, the, the type that they sort of pose for in the military. On I mission. Like that. Who's uh, you know who's Mason? What's what's his background? He's been in prison for thirty years, and it's just like who's whose backstory are we talking about? 
Yeah, because the backstories all get melded together and it's like, it really builds it up. It's almost like a trailer within the film. When they introduce Mason, you know, they wake him up and it's all slow motion and he's got his hair and he's, he's got all of these chains and he's in solitary and he's walking and it's like, he was be, he was incarcerated for 30. And it is like a trailer to the film about Mason. Yeah, there, there is, you get that um, point that you're thinking, yeah, we've got to keep this dialogue for the trailer. It's great, it's great. You know, he's a war hero you're 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 not a field agent you're a chemical freak um there's 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 lots of establishing dialogue welcome to the rock and then obviously we've got the i think a lot of this exposition much like uh, air force one is delivered in the war room uh, also you know uh, a similar trick is done in in under siege you've got lots of people shouting at phones round a table and talking about various medals of honor and asking and demanding that people identify themselves when they're on the phone who is this Identify yourself. Well, yeah, I'm going to start saying, because I, I have to do a fair few uh, conference calls and Skype calls with work. I'm just going to start screaming, identify yourself anytime somebody speaks. <laughs> and then if, ask them how old they are. Yeah. And then tell them what you were doing when they, if they're younger than you. I was in Korea. <laughs> why, does, why does George keep going on about Nam when he was back in Nam? <laughs> but I think the Connery... Um, you know, so Mason meeting uh, Stanley Goodspeed, that interrogation scene is great. It's um, some cracking dialogue between Connery and Cage. It's something that I used to quote with my, my flatmate Jamie all the time, you know, when he's going on about Archimedes, Sir Walter Raleigh. I've been in jail longer than Nelson Mandela, so maybe you want me to run for president. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, what I love about, I think what you're going to go and talk about is just they're really showing their their acting chops. You know, Connery's being brilliant Connery and Cage is being the best of him. We're getting the best out of these actors in this film. Yeah, he's being nervous and twitchy. You've got, uh, you've got some great moments there between, uh, you know, that history between him and Warmack. You piece of shit. <laughs> no, the chemistry between those two is brilliant. And uh, Womack as well, he's, he's He's kind of you can tell he's you recognize him from TV. You don't, sorry, you don't know who he is. You you just know him as w- Womack. Womack. Why am I not surprised, you piece of shit? Jump into the bit with the um, was it the uh, the Vermont Hotel, San Francisco? Um, <laughs> and when we were watching this, I don't know because we were watching a, a digital copy, but I couldn't get over that scene on the balcony when he's getting his hair cut by the, the stylist. How fake that backdrop, that skyline of San Francisco looked. It really looks like a matte painting. I think, as you just said, that's down to the quality of TVs now. And this this can happen. I noticed this recently watching uh, one of the old Star Wars as well, after watching some new Star Wars, mm. is that you like... Oh yeah, it actually does look more dated now because you can see all the quality and the edges and stuff. Whereas back in the day, even on DVD, you know the d- jump between DVD and Blu-ray is pretty, and, and an HDR, um, you know, or UHD 4K television these days, that it, there's a big difference. You're just shouting out letters and numbers at me. I have no idea what you're on about. quickly jumps into the most over-the-top and collateral damage car chase I've seen probably since the Blues Brothers. That that car chase with the Humvee, the Ferrari, 
the tram that blows up, I think it's about, it must be a good sort of 30 metres in the air. What explodes? That's what I don't understand because you can see, like, looking back, it's a controlled explosion. It goes directly up in the air and then it lands. It builds up and so much momentum. But everybody on the tram is still okay. <laughs> Oh yeah, of course. Or, or no, if they know if they've all jumped off because you've got the crazy, uh, the crazy black guy. <laughs> what was that, Charlie? Say it again. Save yourself. <laughs> yeah, that guy. That guy. I might need to insert a quote because, well, I know my my impression's perfect. Let's just I, leave it as. I best. don't think our listeners will will realise that's that's not a quote. It's okay. But we've also got the uh, the line that uh, we frequently um, quote for, for Connery. Has to do mine and Humvee. I'm only borrowing your Humvee. Of course, what a line. What a line. So, yeah, I, I just, I can't believe, I mean, obviously you've got to suspend a bit of uh, disbelief, but the amount of damage that Connery caused in that uh, car chase. Oh, well, yeah, we'll just sweep that under the rug. We still need your help. Yeah, exactly. But I, you kind of think introducing Michael Bay. So it's like, yeah, but if he hits all of these cars, the car he's driving is not going to function. No, he's driving a Humvee, so he'll just go through everything. And Nicolas Cage, he's going to be like careering. He's going to be like in a supercar, like a Ferrari or something. It's like, okay, go on. And it is, it's, it's so much, it's like, it's... You could see where Michael Bay went wrong, but you can also see why, you know, for us at the time, 16-year-old, I was 16, 15, 16 when this film came out, it's everything a young guy wants to see in a film, you know. So um, it just went a little bit to his head. You know, he didn't... I think what's funny learning about the background of this film, which I think... I don't know if you mentioned it already, but I think when we were talking about this recently, about how the film was scripted to be more serious and it was ad-libbed to be less... And I think he's lost something. You know, maybe I think Michael Bay didn't. It says it's his favorite film. Maybe he doesn't know why this was such a good film. You know, it's like he made it, and he probably doesn't realize how much of that was down to chemistry between Cage and Connery, or the other stuff. You know. Yeah, I think he definitely that out of all of his films, this definitely has a brevity to it that that lightness, and I think it's gone through a lot of rewrites uncredited i'm sure you read this as well but apparently both tarantino and uh, aaron sorkin would did rewrites on this most interesting i i think is that connery drafted in ian le Frenet and dick clement who were british writers living in hollywood but they're most famous for uh, writing the likely lads porridge and alvidasian pet and I think, yeah, Cage did his crazy Cage thing and was doing lots of sort of uh, improv uh, on, on on set. So, yeah, definitely I think it really sort of brings out the, the best in the film and makes the ridiculousness of it all a bit more stomachable. And it's a great scene. You know, it's a great... There's, there's lots of collateral damage. There's lots of action. It's a chase. They get their man, and it gets to that. Uh, offers up a great bonding moment between, you know, Cage and Connery before, you know, moving things along. So moving on to Act 2... We've glossed over the introduction of uh, retro ramble hero Michael Bean. Listen up. Mr. Mason will run point for us. Lieutenant Shepard will be attached to his hip. You breathe, he breathes with you. You piss, he helps. Understood? 
Yeah, who would win in a fight between him and Michael Ironside? Let's not talk about that. But I mean, they are kind of similar in that they turn up and they provide a specific service. Yeah, we're looking for somebody to play a military-type role, a soldier of sorts, maybe a Navy SEAL. Okay, okay. Um, I'm thinking of somebody. <laughs> you've got you've got Michael Bean, who was in Navy SEALs, was a Navy SEAL in the Abyss was a soldier from the future in Terminator, which is kind of like a Navy SEAL from the future. And oh God, he, what else is he? He's been in other stuff. He's far too many to, to remember. He just pops up. It's kind of like, you know, in that South Park episode where they take the piss, where the kind of Stargate thing opens, and then they, like, get, get me Kurt Russell. <laughs> and they get Kurt Russell because he's been in a film. It's kind of like, we if we need a Navy SEAL, get me Michael Bean. I'm not actually a Navy SEAL. Shut up, Michael. We need a plan to get in. Well, he was also a, a, a Navy SEAL, um, well, again, a, a military nut in Aliens. Um, but bizarrely, uh, talking of that South Park episode, um, that's the Imagination Land special. They actually draft in Michael Bay at one point and say, we need your ideas. And he's like, there's an 18-wheeler flying through the air. And he's like, quar. <laughs> Those aren't ideas, Mr. Bay. They're special effects. And he goes... What's the difference? <laughs> so we we meet Michael uh, Bean as the the SEAL team squad. Um, the map was in my head. You've got the underwater uh, scuba entry, you know, dropping the team from helicopters into the water, which, uh, again, we, we touched on this in uh, Air Force One. I think it's directly gone on to inspire at least one level on Call of, one of the Call of Duty games. I can't remember which one, but I can remember manning a underwater um, propelling one of those things that they use a lot in Thunderball at the end. <laughs> too too much in that film. So you get into the underground network of uh, Alcatraz, as uh, as Michael Bean describes as a maze of shit. So I, I can't get over how over the top the design structure of Alcatraz is. You've got giant furnaces that are still working, cogs, gears. Uh, that's the issue I have with it as well. I can believe it's all there. You know, you kind of get that same feeling from, um, I mean, our only other prison movie reference from Shawshank Redemption. It's not just about getting out of prison, it's about getting out of the building. And because it's such a large building, it's got a pretty significant infrastructure. So I believe that it's all there. But as you say, the fact it's all still like motoring along and still working, it just seems so far-fetched now. But, you know, just seeing Connery's stunt double rolling through those flames is worth it, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, why don't uh, I wear a balaclava so you don't have to know it's not actually me? Oh, of course, yeah, forget. Of course, he's wearing a balaclava. Classic. But of course. Well, that quickly gets on to the lots of shouting in the shower room where the, the Navy SEALs are trapped. Tell your men to safety their weapons, drop them on the deck. I cannot give that order! I am not going to repeat that order! I will not give that order! What the hell is wrong with you, man? Stand Again, I think this didn't inspire... It wasn't Call of Duty, but there was a great PlayStation 2 game. Black, which was a great game. I remember giving that a lot of time, and it did things which uh, you could never auto-aim onto a body. They were, like, moving anyway. Anyway, it it was a great game, and they completely lifted that scene there's a shower scene it looks like The Rock it feels like The Rock and the same thing happens you actually get to play 
both scenarios. You start off coming out of the drain, being in the really bad position, and then you manage to get up onto the... Well, you kill everyone, and then you get up into the balcony, and you get... And then, obviously, more bad guys come along. So they give you the opportunity to play both the role of Michael Bean's Navy SEALs and General Hummel's mercenaries. And, uh, yeah, we haven't really touched on, on the mercenaries, but, you know, it's a... Again, it's a bit of a recurring theme on the films we're featuring, but it's got a really good, strong uh, supporting cast in it. So you've got, obviously, we've already talked about Michael Bean. Um, funnily enough, um, John C. McGinley, uh, our favourite from Point Break, is back. And I, um, I actually said in the Point Break episode, I was like, yeah, he makes the most of every role he's got. He does nothing in this. <laughs> 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 Apart from he, he pulls out his custom-made motion sensor or something but that's really the the role um that's all his role requires he's the gadget man you've got tuco from breaking bad or whatever the guy's called in, in real life you see see i'm catching up with the breaking bad stuff right uh, uh. yeah i can see you've got uh david morse who um you that name probably doesn't mean anything to you but he's uh, hummel's right hand man and he's again like warmack he's in loads of films he pops up randomly um, yeah he's, 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 and he's normally always a baddie as well usually a bad guy yeah very very rarely playing the good guy as is Tony Todd the candy man the man with the amazing voice I want my fucking money <laughs> and in the control room in the war room you've got uh, was it Al, General Al Kramer uh, who's a British actor Stuart Wilson who this is so just for everybody this is the bad guy from Lethal Weapon 3 right yes he's also the bad guy in uh, Mask of Zorro and he crops up as one of the neighbourhood watch team in Hot Fuzz as well <laughs> of course, of course, yeah. But yeah, you've got so many like random people popping up in this, and I think that's really what, again, sort of another reason why this film's sort of so likable. And uh, you know, and it's, I say it's almost like a reoccurring thing that we're finding about a lot of these films. Great scripts, great production, and great character actors. I mean, you just just before we move on off this point, you know that guy who turns to Warmack and says, "He's as old as I am. I have to get up two times in the night to take a piss." That guy has made has been actually had a leading role in a film of his own about being a retired hitman. I don't know if you've seen it. Oh, he calls. Uh, what's he called? Because he also crops up in Air Force One as well. Yeah, yeah, he's he's the he's the attorney general. Yeah, he, he, he's the guy that yes says that um, he's just walking in and out of war rooms around Washington. <laughs> is 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 this the airborne scenarios? There are no airborne scenarios. Okay, that's it. I'm off to the rock. <laughs> I'm off to the rock. Yeah, you've got that that great scene. The whole the whole SEAL team is wiped out. Very dramatic. Lots of trumpets sort of fading out of the background. So it's up to, to Goodspeed and Mason to, to save the day. And all of a sudden, they end up in uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom in a minecart race. What's that about? Yeah, yeah that, that, that's also, I think, another clear indication of the Michael Bay that is slowly coming out of its shell. And then we're going to have this underground car chase and there's going to be a, a shootout and, and, and just at the last minute, it's, and it, yeah, it's, it's, it's bonkers to have that in this sort of film. And I'd say unnecessary. If you lost that, would you really lose that much? You know? oh, oh, definitely. I think, yeah, I think that's something we said when we were watching it. You could easily trim that out and no one would know. elevator. 
Just make it an elevator. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, it's it's fine. Actually, uh, can I just check before we uh, jump into Act Three? Where are we with the thermite plasma? What's it going to take to equip a flight of F-18s with thermite plasma within the next thirty-six hours? An act of God. Excuse me. All right, we can try. So, Act Three. <laughs> it all starts falling apart, George. And and how how is this demonstrated? We're seeing we're seeing the the antihero Hummel. We're seeing he's he, is his bluff being called. What 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 are we seeing happen? It's a great. It's a very good Act Three in terms of his role and what happens to him. Well, I think yeah, that's another reason why the, the story sort of holds up is. One, it's a, it's a well-written... General Hummel is a really well-written anti-hero. Well, he's not an anti-hero, but he's a tragic villain. He's, um, you know, his reasons apparently were based on um, were based on fact. There was uh, an old general that... I mean, he obviously didn't go to those extremes, but he was campaigning for um, all the soldiers that had worked on covert missions that were never given any recognition or any... His fa- their families were given no support because they were just killed in action and you know sort of they didn't happen yeah i mean this was fact and yeah i think that's why it really works you've got obviously someone as such a a compelling actor as Ed, ed harris playing it and to make him seem more tragic and more sort of you know sympathetic they surround him by some really really evil mercenaries like some real shits they are horrible. You've you've got the rat faced guy that you who's really annoying and you really want to die painfully and and he does actually go on to die quite painfully. You've got I say you've got the uh the candy man, uh Tony Todd, whose whose death is, is one of uh one of my highlights is that's the, the whole Rocket Man setup, you know. You are the Rocket Man. It's you. Do you like Elton John? <laughs> I don't like sissy ass music. Um <laughs> But he's Tony Todd is not only fired out of a window with a rocket, he's then launched onto and impaled on a massive spike. <laughs> put my foot in a spike. It's a lot of there's a lot of con air in that, isn't it? You know the way. Um, sorry, spoiler alert for con air here. The way that Malkovich is taken out at the end of con air. Nothing will beat the extreme nature of of Malkovich's death in in Con Air. Um, he's electrocuted, blown up, burnt. And, Fired through a walkway on a ladder. Uh, and then and then all of a sudden seems to roll underneath a massive, j- j- like, pneumatic press or something. We'll get to that film at some stage. Uh, at some point. But yeah, the uh, as I say, the, um, the most annoying, the rat-faced guy, he gets the worst death possible. A chemical glass ball in the mouth just so he's, like, he can boil alive and die. <laughs> die horribly, bitch. Die horribly. Yeah. A lot of satisfaction. He bad. You die badly. But it's... So, yeah, I think that's um, the the Air Force coming in loaded with what, Charlie? What what the rocket's loaded with? 100% thermite plasma. Ah, so, yeah. And, uh, yeah, the it's iconic still, sort of shot with... Still, it's still in the test phases. Hummel knows this. 
Actually, this, there's one thing I picked up on, and I'm 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 sort of bringing probably the uh, the film down with with too much seriousness. Um, but again, like um, I picked up on this in um, Air Force One. There's a bit where the president goes, "We are at war with terror," and again, this is sort of predating September 11th by quite a few years, and it's almost like quite scary um, that that sort of type of terminology is it's quite easy to sort of say, oh, well, yeah, that's something the president would say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, and there's that and um, and the links, the fact that it was like life imitating art and then art predating life, you know. And as you said, you know, they couldn't make this sort of film today. Um, well, that's it. I mean, chemical weapons, domestic terrorists. But actually, this also links in, uh, I'm going to go off on a tangent, but... Um, Apparently, this was well. This was uh, brought up on uh, the Adam Buxton podcast recently in the Chilcot re- report on uh, Britain's involvement in um, you know toppling Saddam Hussein. Yeah, in the Iraq War, um, one agent uh, falsified uh, his claims of seeing weapons of mass destruction. Actually, his description that he gave in the Chilcot report <laughs> chemical balls, isn't it? Yeah, they they they. A string of pearls combination, green glass balls. There's there's, there's a there's a chip underneath that you have to take out. He, he basically for for the Chilcot report, which is actually quite scary. He just ripped off the rock and said, "Yeah, they'll believe that. They'll be fine." That sounds about what it would happen. Um, so yeah, you know, what has the rock done for us? That's all I can say. Where are we? I, I got I got confused with. Uh, I mean, I think, but I think it's something, something to do with balls in mouths. I don't know. Something balls in mouths, but no, we, we've seen a very, I would say, economic and believable because the whole thing about Act Three is how are these two going to take down a group of mercenaries, and they do it in a kind of believable way. Connery has a fight with a guy who's not who doesn't know understand the difference between Irish and Scottish, um, but that's kind of believable. How the, how they. Um, dispatch each foe is kind of made, yeah, he's a chemical freak and this is an old guy. How are they going to do it? And it's believable. I mean, as much as a Michael Bay, anything in a Michael Bay film can be, mm. it is quite believable how they get they get round to it, obviously backed up by thermoplasma. But the, well, the one thing we haven't really touched on is the fact that J- John Mason, Connery's character, is a former British special force. Do they call him special? For- they don't call him a secret agent, do they? They say he's British SAS. They, they they do say what you're what you're about to say. What basically who he is? We we can't say the we can't call him James Bond, but we'll get bloody close to calling him. Yeah. He's he's an ex-British secret special services agent who was active in the sixties. So yeah, essentially, what what happened if James Bond got caught? Which leads me on to the point that I've been dying to make about the prequel I want to see made. And if you see if you've seen any of the recent Marvel films and where they are at with um, what would you call it, their CGI face de aging technology? Yeah. yeah, I want to see I want to see a prequel. I want to see a prequel involving um, you could have Nicolas Cage playing Godspeed's father he'd be involved somehow but a CGI de-aged Connery and Womack you know what actually went down I'd watch it that would be something that's what where sorry this is just my rant over that's what this technology should be used for you know it's like give us the greats younger or you know just give us Womack and Connery at it. Sorry, Womack and Mason. That's what you want to hear. You know, it's a great backstory. Yeah, I mean, well, that's it. And I think, again, that's why 
it really resonates with both you and I as diehard Bond fans, also fans of diehard, but 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 diehard Bond <laughs> fans, massive fans of we love Connery and everything, no matter what accent he's really trying to do. And yeah, it's it's, it's his last good film, but it's just great to see him. He's basically yeah doing Bond. What if what if James Bond got old? Um, which is you know it's a bit like you know we're seeing that recently with. Um, Logan with you know Hugh Jackman and an aged Wolverine and it's also a trick that they uh, pulled in another Bruckheimer film uh, Enemy of the State that Gene Hackman's character is essentially a cipher a sort of different version of the character he played in the conversation which was done in the 70s um, and so- I told you totally did not pick up on that my geek brother you out geek me on that well i i didn't realize that until because i saw uh enemy of the state first and then i watched conversation a few years later and i was like hang on <laughs> um <laughs> but I, I think i watched enemy state uh, a year or two ago and despite all the wacky technology and i think that might feature mini discs it, it does actually still hold up pretty well. I mean, it's one of those things that's so far-fetched, but it's now sort of actually, oh, yeah, that's currently what society's a bit like in terms of CCTV. But, but anyway, I'm, I'm digressing. Um, back to The Rock. Is there anything, anything that we f- feel we need to cover? You said, what's The Rock ever done for us? What did it do for us? Because it gave us... It gave Nicolas Cage a platform. It gave us... It showed us... <laughs> it gave Michael Bay a career, unfortunately. Yeah. And I think... I think that's... The failure is with him. I think he made, he's made great films. And, like, he's done great things in film. Just not great films, if you know what I mean. Like, we... You and I talk about... I mean, I don't think... I don't think we're going to cover this anytime soon, but Bad Boys is a silly film Bad Boys 2 is even more silly but that car chase in Bad Boys 2 it's it's amazing so I just don't think he worked is what I was saying before I don't think he worked out what made him successful with films like The Rock He, he took the wrong things from them well, it's, it's interesting if, you know, I was, I was talking about you've got a lot of directors that come from a background in music videos. And um, there's a few uh, directors here that some of them have obviously honed their craft and some of them haven't. Michael Bay is one of them that hasn't really. They're very good with visuals, but they're, they can't tell a story. Zack Snyder, again, amazing visualist, can really bring visuals to life. Not so good in the story. But then you've got other people like um, David Fincher and Spike Jones were both making music videos before they went on to do you know David Fincher's done some amazing work as as has Spike Spike Jones but they can see it's not just about the visuals yeah and in terms of I think it's probably time for our um, our usual feature Coulda, woulda, shoulda, George. Have you got anything? And if any, any interesting people who were also considered for the roles? Well, there's some conflicting stories uh, on this, but according to obviously the uh, the font of knowledge that is IMDb, uh, and I promise I'm not going to, you know, for um, for our listeners, I'm not going to do impression. But apparently, uh, none other than Arnie was uh, cast as in the Mason role. Um, but he has even said the script was in its really early stages and he couldn't really get a feel for the film as a whole. And he actually regrets not going on board because he actually, you know, saw how, um, you know, how impressive the film would go on to. And 
strangely enough, he would go and do a prison film with Stallone, Escape Plan, which is actually in terms of Arnie and Stallone's later careers is actually not a bad action film. You know, it's a, a post-pub film. But I also did read somewhere, again, I think it was on IMDb, that apparently Arnie was up for the good speed role, which makes no sense to me. It's sort of like, oh yeah, who's the, who's the nerd in the glasses over there? <laughs> Arnie is the nerd. I, I am a chemical freak. I also work out a little bit. Um, sorry, no, I, I, I promised I wasn't going to do any bad impressions, but I can't you remember. Just remember the steps. Remember the steps. I'm your sponsor. And we will get through this, and you will get through no more Arnie impressions. So, I don't know if there's... I think... I, I haven't got anything else to say. This, this was a classic that we grew up with. I remember, in terms of stories growing up, I remember, um, you know, I watched this as 15, 16. I then went on to university. And I remember bonding with people, with mates at university going, yeah, it's a damn good film. And it's like, yeah, I like that film too. And so, I mean, that kind of says a lot what it was for me. It was it was funny. It was action. And yes, it was a blockbuster. It's um, You don't really have to engage your brain much with this film. But it started many you know there were many other films like it some were good some were bad it's one of the best of them i think that's safe to say in terms of the genre and this time scale for me the reason and i think one of the reasons we picked it it's the best that and con air um are you know and there's the armageddon's and there's, there's there's a ton of the films but the rock i think for both of us is is the best of them yeah, definitely. It catch, it's got that quotability that we've, you know, we've touched on. You've got so many one-liners. What do you say we cut the chit-chat a-hole? But, uh, yeah, it's got so much um, quotability, great action, but brought together by, you know, a good cast um, that are all performing, you know, top of their game. Yeah, and, you know, it's what we talked about before. We don't get films like that today uh, with the, with this sort of cast, with this sort of budget, with this sort of... And when we do, it's normally... It even seems more rushed now than it was back then. I, I, get, that, I get that feeling anyway. I mean, I haven't actually seen uh, The Fate of the Furious yet. But that's the only sort of film that and obviously the annual or biannual Transformers film. I mean, that's kind of where these sort of films are right now wouldn't you say would you put any other I can't that, that's where we are now if, if you look at well yeah it seems like it's you've, you've got there's there's uh, too few sort of proper action films these days you know we're getting the sort of obviously there is a slight return to that with um yeah, we've, we've touched on it before with uh, Deadpool, with Logan, you've got John Wick, um, but you haven't got those event movies that are, and yeah, we've, we've talked about it with, with Face Off, you just wouldn't get that kind of cast, that kind of a budget um, as a summer blockbuster. No, and, and exactly that, because now that's, you know, you mentioned, oh, we've got Deadpool and Logan. Yes, they are. But what are know, they? For, uh, they are comic book films. They are franchises. Exactly. So what we we need to go back to this, you know, I, I, I think, because I did some checking up on the numbers the other day, and it's true that I don't understand why films are still being made for younger audiences and getting it down to 15 when the numbers, I don't say that, the highest percentage of people who go to the cinema are between the ages of 25 and 40. And it's been like that since 2010. Yeah. And I think that the, the studios haven't conned on to that. So dumbing down and, and getting, you know, getting it down to a 15 or whatever isn't the way to go. It needs to be more like Deadpool and Logan 
I mean, obviously, The Rock was family, kind of family friendly. It was like, what, 12 or 15? Um, um, I'm just going back to Tony Todd getting impaled on a spike. <laughs> oh, yeah. And all of the fuck. Yeah, yeah, no, it was definitely a 15, 18 yeah. film. I'll have to check that. Yeah. Uh, for for its, its its classification, but no, and they they were yeah they were I wouldn't say we we've used the term high concept maybe too much, but now they're just yeah pick a comic book make a film out of it you know whereas we'd like I'd like to see more John Wick type films, but you can't really um, yeah you can't really make domestic terrorists anything yeah it's all a bit sort of too touchy isn't it um, yeah not even too but just like. Um, like, why not an action film involving someone like, I don't know, Al Pacino and Channing Tatum in a brutal running against time? It doesn't have to involve terrorism. No, it just I'm, I'm gets- sorry, Charlie, I'm going to stop you. That sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, I was just, I was just um, looking at posters on my wall. Um, I've, I've got Liam Neeson. He's in an ice cream truck, and it's gonna explode. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I've mashed up two films there. Anyway, <laughs> we're we're rambling. Rambling. Let's, uh... ladies and gentlemen, that was The Rock. So if you haven't watched it in a long time. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Go back and check it out. It's a great film. Thank you very much. So that was the rock. We hope you enjoyed that, George. Yeah, it was a, it was a lot of fun. Um, a little bit rambling uh, at the time, but you know we're we're living up to our name. Uh, it's interesting because um, when I was telling people that we were. Uh, the next podcast was about The Rock. Everyone's initial reaction was like, "What the the wrestler Dwayne the Rock Johnson's like? No, no, you know that that classic action movie from the nineties." I had the same problem when searching for images for the blog to cover The Rock. Whenever I searched, it was always Dwayne Johnson popping up. The Rock. Well, he's everywhere. He's literally in about twenty films a year. Um, You've it, trained with The Rock, is that all right, George? Uh, not exactly. <laughs> Uh, he was in my gym in London uh, at the same time as me. So, he was in my like, book, that's the same as training with yeah. the Rock. That's what you got to tell yeah, the I, I, I was close to training with him, so effectively, I did. So, yeah, he did have some eye contact though. There was a no, he did, there was acknowledgement. Yeah, he, he 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 liked my moves, I think, and he knew that you knew that. That he knew that you knew who he was. Yes, yes. Yeah. Everyone knew who he was because there was about twenty people all working out on the mats around him. Yeah. Uh, enough but, about that rock. But enough about that rock. So yeah, I was worried that a lot of people had forgotten about this film. However, um, we both uh, follow the the Empire Film Magazine group uh, on Facebook, and if you're a movie fan, uh, really recommend you joining it. It's just lots of like-minded uh, people, lots of movie fans sharing their love of films sharing silly memes that sort of things films uh, they love films they they hate only advice I'll give you is don't bring up Interstellar because that's mm. been such an audience divider that I think it's a banned topic now but it's a great group there's uh, how many there's about what 5,000 members at least uh, last time I checked yeah I think there's a few thousand people from, from all over the world and yeah it's a great discussion group um, and everyone's very mild mannered there's not many trolls on, on board um, but recently, in the past couple of days, The Rock, the film, has come up a couple of times. People were talking about what's the best Ed Harris performance, and that fre- featured quite frequently, which is 
obviously is you know worth good reason because Ed Harris is a, a key reason why The Rock who, holds up who else could have done that faltering voice bit at the end stand down stand down who else could, no but I mean that was it was convincing he, re- he brings real uh, pathos to a which could have been a sort of cardboard character cardboard villain um, and there's also yeah a lot of people there was a, a thread recently about the the whole James Bond uh, theory is is it you know is it Bond by another name but it's, it's you know I think it's some people have said no some people have said maybe but I'm sorry I, I, I as I put on the group I think it's it's absolutely it's definitely an unofficial nod to Bond the it's, fact, it's a homage it's, it's a homage but yeah. the fact that it was so crucial that they had Connery uh, and the fact that they or maybe I don't know what came first we don't know what went on but I, I think it's clearly a nod that they they one one way or another they definitely edited his backstory to make him yeah to give an, to give a homage to Bond so yeah that's it and you know let us know your thoughts on on The Rock your your favourite moments should it be remade I don't think it needs to be remade um, or could it be remade with the, obviously it's terror storyline it's always a uh, fine point these days but yeah let us know on uh, on the blog on Facebook uh, or our Twitter at Retro Ramble blog that's enough about The Rock George what is filling your noggin at the moment what are you streaming what are you reading what are you watching uh, I am in between uh, various series at the moment I'm sort of taking a break uh, I'm probably going to jump back into Breaking Bad because I realise I need to catch up with everyone else I'm still about five years behind <laughs> uh, but I'm moving into series three uh, it's starting to get really good finally it's a bit of a slow burn um, I've actually uh, I haven't told you this um, but I've started watching the Star Wars animated series Star Wars Rebels which is set between Breaking the, Bad series, series three and four uh, yeah exactly <laughs> um, so yeah Star Wars Rebels is well because um, off the back of uh, watching the very very good Rogue One uh, I was sort of inspired to get more of a Star Wars fix and this is set between uh, the prequel trilogy and uh, the original trilogy so it sort of kind of leads up to events in, in Rogue One right? and so it's about a small band of of rebels uh, fighting against the empire, um, and yeah, it's just a nice little sort of. It's obviously it's a. What type of animation is it? It's digital animation, so it's similar to the the Clone Wars animation that was done uh, a few a few years ago. That's going to be decent. I never watched. I think I think I watched the majority of it. Yeah, I know. I, I dipped in and out, and obviously there was the original two D animation that was really good. But yeah, Star Wars Rebels. It's um, it's quite you know fluffy at the edges, you know, because it's a kids' show. But it's it's a good Star Wars fix. You've got all the the authentic sound uh, sound effects, the really good soundtrack, and some decent characters, some decent new characters that sort of expands the the universe, the the mythology. Um, so I'm finding that as a nice sort of uh, palate cleanser after a tough week at work. So yeah, that's what I've been watching recently 
Cool. Mm. What about yourself? Well, for my part, I seem to have consumed myself in a universe of Bosch. Now, for the uninitiated, Hieronymus Bosch, or Harry Bosch, is a character from the novels written by Michael Connolly. Now, uh, I only discovered Bosch a few years ago, probably like the majority of you. It's a series, um, it's an Amazon original. Um, Season three has just started. But I watched season one and two, and a lot of people to me, uh, our dad and a few other people said oh have you read the books and I was like I mean I do read I like books um, and, I, and I just never got around to, to reading it but before starting season 3 I thought you know what I'm going to give one of the books a try. So I started with uh, The Black Echo. Obviously, it's dated. It's, um, it's Bosch's. Apparently, he was in Nam, just like George and I. Uh, and he's been through a lot of stuff. And the, the plot is around that. But ironically enough, I read this book in six days. It's amazing. And I, and I was like, this is great because I love the character. I love the detail of Bosch. It's set in L.A. You know, you played a lot of GTA. You know the city. And it's, it's that sort of thing. It's it's that sort of feel you feel like you're on the streets but it's realistic like if whenever a cop sh- fires his gun there's an investigation why did you fire you know so it's, it's very much how much they're on under the microscope and kind of like you know how the wire did it where sometimes the cops were as bad as the criminals yeah um there's there's a lot of that it's there's you know it's multi-tiered in a way there's there's political level with the chiefs mm-hmm. there's obviously the detectives Bosch and his colleagues and then there's the crims you know so there's and there's so much detail given to it but it's just the realism you know it's it's the the author Michael Connolly said he was inspired uh, you know he went to university and then he dropped out and went back to become a journalist and he was inspired because one summer after his first year in uni he read um, is it The Long Goodbye by uh, Raymond Chandler yeah and this is what Bosch is it's a modern day Raymond Chandler and there's and it's very much the, the you know the film noir mm. type aspect so but then I've gone back and I've started watching season three and it's Ironically, it's a mixture of a number of books, but it's 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 taken the first book and they've updated it. Okay. So it's not about a Vietnam; it's about Afghanistan, uh, but they've kept the characters the same, and it's amazing. So I'm thoroughly enjoying that, and I can't recommend it highly enough. If you like any sort of detective, if you've liked the killing, or if you've liked any of the other sort of things, they're great characters, you know, um, and some interesting names: Hieronymus Bosch, Titus Welliver, that sort of thing. But I can't recommend it enough. Well, I watched uh, the first series of, of Bosch on. It's on Amazon, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, I enjoyed it. You know, uh, great uh, character actors. You know, actors you're not overly familiar with, and yeah, I liked that whole sort of noiry sort of detective thing. I just it didn't blow me away, but I will probably go back because I hear the the second series is a stronger story. Yeah, it's 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 that. I think the the first one very much is a mixture of two books, mm-hmm. which I haven't read either of them uh, yet. I'm I'm reading the second Bosch book now. The sixteen. I'm really happy about this. I Good. found an author I like, a character I like, and there's a ton of books to get stuck into over the summer. But yeah, um, but the second season, yeah, it blows it. They've established the characters, and then they go nuts, and then it seems like in season three that they're kicking it up a notch so it it basically to me just more 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 evidence that Amazon is more about quality 
whereas Netflix seems to be more on quantity. So check it out. But I'm doing all of this reading and watching. I haven't really been playing on my PlayStation. The weather's been nice, been out, enjoying the good weather, as you should. Um, so George, next time. So yeah, next time um, we are going to do uh, family favourite, uh, The Goonies, uh, by classic kids film by Richard Donner. Um, but I think we'll also keep your ears and eyes peeled. Um, we are going to do a little tribute to uh, the very recent passing of the legend that is Roger Moore. Uh, so Charlie and I, uh, it's not going to be a full-length episode, uh, I'm sure as we keep sort of threatening we're going to cover some of the Bond films later down the line but this is just yeah a little uh, special episode to share our thoughts on the passing of uh, a legend that was very close to our hearts yeah men meant a lot to us um, and it's it's one James Bond who, who unfortunately will not return so yeah very important so watch out for that and um, you know keep, keep, keep in touch with us keep follow us on the blog because there's a lot more visual stuff there's memes funny trailers spread the words tell your friends Friends. Yeah, get them to sell their friends. And obviously, check us out. We're on the Empire Group. Start your own discussions on that. We're also on YouTube. We're, 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 we're everywhere. We're everywhere. We're still not on Instagram, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't worry about that for, yeah. for the time being. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, our, our Twitter account's still fairly low. Uh, you're getting sort of similar content, but yeah, f- follow us on Twitter. We're at, at Retro Ramble Blog. Yeah, um, so we will yeah. be getting more active because it's summer and we've got a bit more time. But once again, thanks for listening and uh, goodbye from me and it's goodbye from me and we'll see you next time bye bye don't forget to wear flowers in your hair if you're going to San Francisco you're sure to meet some gentle people there good